welcome to The Adult Table, a podcast where we sit down with people in the SACE and our STEM community. We set the virtual table to bring in a diverse set of guests to engage in a casual conversation on their professional career and life. With this podcast, we hope that we can bridge the gap between the hierarchy involved with growing up. We can redefine what it means to be able to figuratively sit at the adult table. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jason Chin. And I'm your other co-host, Jenny Chung. Today, we have Matt Diaz. Matt is a collegiate program coordinator for SACE, working closely with regional managers, collegiate team, and the SACE squad. Matt's had a very diverse background, earning an electrical engineering degree, starting his own business, and even being a certified personal trainer. So welcome to the show, Matt. How's everything going? Um, We just had a little introduction for you, but can you fill in the blanks for our audience and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. would love to. Thank you, uh, Jenny. Thank you, Jason. Really excited and honored to, to be asked here today. And a little bit more about myself, uh, Colorado native, as Jenny mentioned, got a degree in electrical engineering, Colorado School of Mines back in 2007. And instead of going into engineering, I actually started my own business. From there, I uh, did a couple other ventures prior to working, you know, starting my work here with SACE in 2015. And so here we are, this recording taking place January of 2021, six years <laughs> right on the cusp, right around the corner. So outside of that, uh, I've been an athlete my whole life uh, playing competitive sports. And today my sport of choice is uh, endurance running. So I've got a good amount of marathons that I've knocked out in a short period of time over the last handful of years. My wife and I, we've been married for um, this summer will actually be our 10 year wedding anniversary. And uh, this past summer, we or excuse me, this past December, we just celebrated our 17th anniversary together. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. That's awesome. Man, incredible. 10 years, 17 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible to see how fast it, uh, it's gone by, mm-hmm. um, to say the least, you know, definitely growing up with one another, you know, building our lives together. It's, uh, it's been an incredible journey that never would have expected marriage to look like, or, you know, the, the perception I had growing up of it and, you know, what we actually created is, you know, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I know you just jumped into your childhood crush. We had this written down. Can you explain a little more on what it's been like knowing and growing with someone like your entire life and how that compared to what you had imagined, I guess, like growing up? Yeah. Okay. Um, so as you mentioned in my, my bio on the website says that I married my childhood crush. And so uh, my wife and I were actually from the same hometown, but uh, we never knew each other until we both moved to the largest city here in Denver when we were both uh, attending college, uh, different schools up here. And uh, we met at a mutual friend's house. But um, kind of funny story is, you know, we went to the same middle school and then, you know, we ultimately went to different high schools. That's why we never really crossed paths. But um, I just remember one day in seventh grade walking down the hallway, you know, doors are just open, you know, just kind of entering the uh, the building and walking down the hallway. And I noticed this girl in a, um, uh, a letter jacket, a middle school letter jacket, which I had never seen before, but anybody else <laughs> in the school, nobody else had this leather jacket. Um, you know, and our, our school colors, I weren't too very fond of at the time, but they, they are Laker purple and Laker gold, you know, so just that, that purple and gold color, uh, scheme. And so there was that purple jacket with the gold sleeves, just kind of jumping out. And, uh, as I was walking down the hall, you know, seventh grade got a, uh, I was like, who is that? Holy cow. Um, so later on that day, I just kind of had to figure out who that was. And so I went to my 
previous yearbook and I guess the the equivalent of today's Facebook stalking right. and <laughs> kind of comb through the pictures to, to, to see who it was and I found her picture, found out who she was and that was basically it. You know, she was in eighth grade. So the next year she went, you know, I was definitely shy and introverted. I was just like, okay, good to know. Um, <laughs> and then, so she went one way and I went another way. And then, you know, almost, I don't know what that math comes out to maybe 10, 15, 20 years later is when we cross paths. So, mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, what we, when we first met, neither one of us was really looking for a relationship at the time, primarily because at that time uh, we, we'd crossed paths over the summer, but then we met back home uh, again. We crossed paths again when we were both back home for winter vacation, but neither one of us was looking for, like I mentioned, a, a relationship because the previous fall semester, I had already filled out all the paperwork to go study abroad the following year in Spain. And to my surprise, when we got to to chatting and that came up, I don't know who said it first, but the other said, really? So did I. (laughs) So as we crossed paths, we had both already completed everything that we would need to study abroad in Spain the following year. Uh, Granted, we were in two different cities. She was there for the fall semester. I was there for the entire academic year. And so we were able to spend a lot of time together out there, you know, traveling the world, traveling to different cities. And, you know, I, one of the, the feathers in my hat, if you will, is we spent our, our one year anniversary in front of the Pantheon in Rome. So a very romantic dinner wow. and just a really cool uh, situation that, again, that's something I never would have dreamed up to say, okay, you know what I'm going to do my first year anniversary. And that was just when we were dating, you know, so it hadn't even become uh, <laughs> that, that means the next year you got to yeah. live up to more hype, you know, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> exactly. more. Uh-huh. yeah. So, um, since then, you know, when we, when we came back to the States, that's when it started to get more and more serious. And I think whatever that math is, seven years later, we were actually both in a pretty, uh, gnarly car wreck and, mm-hmm. uh, uh kind of coming out of that was kind of a realization for me that I, I just didn't want to live my life without her. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of uh, one of the things that, uh, in addition to all the the questions, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? That I, I ultimately proposed to her in the summer of 2010. And then 2011, we got married. Yeah. And so to answer your question, ever since then, you know, she and I, we've been pretty much living an untraditional lifestyle together. We had moved in prior to being engaged and prior to being married. We had both walked away from our um, our degrees of choice to go into business. Back then, I kind of chuckled, you know, being an entrepreneur at that time, it was kind of like a four-letter word. <laughs> it's like, oh, so you're unemployed, right? Whereas today's day and age, you know, entrepreneur is definitely, it's, it's got a, a nice ring to it for sure. <laughs> and so just, uh, again, kind of learning about life with one another and, you know, uh, facing obstacles that we had within our own relationship, you know, uh, the the, the, the struggles that come with trying to be a, an entrepreneur that, you know, to, to, to become self-sufficient, you know, and just everything that life has to offer, you know, being able to, to grow with one another and to find somebody who kind of shares the same values and principles, especially around growth and development um, has made it uh, a worthwhile journey because we kind of both have this knowing that we both have the opportunity to continue to, to get better as individuals and so we can improve ourselves and then ultimately improve our relationship as well. Right. Yeah, I think that that's really awesome. You definitely, I think in terms of, uh, I guess, a career path and stuff like that, did you not enjoy engineering at all? (laughs) Or why did you study electrical engineering? Yeah, great question. So the short answer is I went to Colorado School of Mines to play baseball. 
So again, like I said, my whole life was was to was playing uh, sports, and out of the uh, when it was obvious that I was going to be staying in state for college, you know, out of the uh, all the options available, Colorado School of Mines just made the most sense. I was like, okay, I'll be able to play baseball, and when I get out, I'll be making a lot of, a lot of money. And so funny thing is, is I remember just kind of having this realization as a freshman. I was like, I'm not even sure what an engineer is. You know, prior to, I was like, the only type of engineer I had heard of is the person who drives a train, right? (laughs) And so, but I knew there was just more to it. I just didn't know what it meant. And so for me growing up, I was always a whiz at math. And so that's essentially what got me into School of Minds in the first place and got me through it for sure. But yeah, to your point, as I went through curriculum and my baseball career had come to an end, you know, it was just this this realization that something didn't feel right. And as I got into my upper level classes at Mines, and I start to get to see kind of what some examples of the workforce could look like. One of the realizations I, that hit me was at that time in my life, I was, I was kind of what I call dying on the inside, you know, out of the previous, you know, out of how old I was 20 years of life, you know, I had kind of, I'd grown up as an introvert and Along the way, when I had any type of frustration, emotions, anger, sadness, I just kind of suppressed them and, and bottled them, kind of pushed them down. And so that was a time in my life where as I started to foresee what, uh, you know, being in lab and kind of seeing how isolated I could be and seeing how that could be also, you know, in, in, in the future with that career path, that's when it's just like, you know, this, this, is, this is the time for a change. And um, I don't know necessarily what it is that I want to do, but I just can't see myself, you know, pursuing this this path any longer after the road that I've already traveled. And, you know, looking back, of course, I understand that, you know, the path that if I would have stayed on, it, I could have been whatever I cr- would have wanted to create. Um, so that's that's kind of when I realized that engineering was not the route that I wanted to go. And so when the opportunity to start a business presented itself, it kind of lined up with what I was asking for. And what I was asking for was to, to be able to understand how to deal with my emotions and get out of my comfort zone, you know, starting a conversation with a complete stranger at a networking event, you know, uh, showing up to a networking event alone. So there's some motivations as an entrepreneur that emotions can easily get in the way of. But again, you know, when you still got to put food on the table and bring money into the household, that can definitely create some motivation to step out to your comfort zone and, and move forward. And so that was largely part of the reason why I decided to shift gears is because mm-hmm. where I was out in my life was just, I was, I was ready to do more introspective work. And I saw that more so in a path of business versus engineering. Yeah, I think a lot of salespeople can probably relate to having that emotional wall going into networking events. And it's kind of cool that SACE has brought that platform for people to get more comfortable with that and yeah, put themselves out there. It's interesting that you mentioned that you're an introvert because I guess from my first impression of you was at my first national conference in Schaumburg and it was my first national conference. So I was kind of following around my fellow SACE members. And the one thing that I remember them saying was to look out for your workshop just because they love like your energy, your, your passion and like how personable you were. So it's, it's just very interesting to see that kind of growth. But yeah, I, I was wondering more if you could kind of talk about what this SACE experience has meant to you and like how that's differed from, I guess, your life as an entrepreneur being in your own business and transitioning into a role where you have to be in those networking events and yeah. kind of providing that 
network, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, great question. And, um, you know, kind of like even just hearing the introduction and you know, look at the, the different roles that I've had, at first glance, it definitely can seem like they are uh, very diverse, which they are and, and almost unrelated. But for me, they've been very aligned and very related. You know, when I started my business, it was basically a personal development business is what we said. It's a personal development business that markets a legal and identity theft product. And one of the concepts, one of the philosophies from my mentors was, you know, work harder on yourself than you do your business. You know, the greatest gift in life is not what we receive. The greatest gift in life is who we become. And so these type of concepts really motivated me and encouraged me because, again, here I was in a space that was not a space that I wanted to continue to my future. And, you know, with uh, being surrounded by mentors and different associations that were focused on this kind of personal development concept and reading books and going to trainings and just, you know, increasing that self-awareness on kind of where my weaknesses are or my pain points or my opportunities for growth are, and then go focusing on that. And so whether it's business and even in the personal training role, you know, it's, that's definitely a conversation of, okay, you know, here you are in your current state, but you have a desired state. There's some sort of transformation that you want to go through, but there are these barriers that are preventing us from changing our habits and, and creating a desired lifestyle. So let's take a look at those, remove those barriers and, you know, help you get on the path of achievement. And so when SACE found me in 2015, that's when uh, Khan had kind of pretty much built up the collegiate team and was looking for additional support. And I remember him posting it on Facebook. And one thing that I don't think most people know is that my senior year of Colorado School of Mines, so my last year was Khan's first year as the Multicultural Engineering Program Director. Whoa. So he was actually one of my first mentors at an early age. And so we were Facebook friends. And so I saw it on his, his profile and I just clicked on it. I was like, man because I'd been watching through Facebook as well too. And I just remember thinking about how much fun I had as a, as a ship chapter president back when I was in, in school. And I read the description and, you know, at the time I was, I was looking for another opportunity. And I just remember thinking, man, work from home, leadership development, which to me kind of translates into the continuation of personal development and just continuing having this conversation of how can I go from point A to point B? You know, what's holding me back? What are some skill sets I can, I can develop, I can improve upon? What can I do to continue to grow? And so that, that was definitely something that was very much in alignment with my previous roles, but also just how I have set up my life. These are the type of conversations and the associations that I've intentionally placed myself in over the years because, you know, creating my desired lifestyle and helping other people create their desired lifestyles is, it's, it's, it's definitely a privilege and it's, it's definitely an opportunity that, you know, has ultimately resulted in, in joy and happiness. And that's made all the difference for me. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I think one of the main reasons why I've been involved in SACE for so long and also taking on like a, a bunch of different leadership positions is definitely because of that personal growth that I want for myself that I want to also, as you mentioned, like try to provide to others as well. So like taking on like a presidency and trying to like build that community and foster, you know, that mentality of we should always be learning and growing, not just in the technical side as engineers or scientists, but also in those like soft skills, right? Being able to talk to people, having like some sort of emotional intelligence, right? So I think like SACE has definitely helped me a lot in that aspect. And especially in college when it's like very formative in your years of growth, right? So yeah, yeah I think that that's 
awesome what you mentioned of everything about space because like you can see that like me and Jason are like the product of like what you just mentioned right <laughs> <laughs> and you can just see how much people want to continue that chain yeah. of always giving back so it's yeah. like a really awesome trend I guess yeah no <laughs> it, absolutely and, yeah. and you know there's there's countless of examples all throughout SACE you know people mm -hmm. that I've had the opportunity privilege to, to meet personally and work with personally as volunteers and countless others that, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to, to interact with. But for me, that's just a contagious and an inspiring environment mm -hmm. that, you know, so much is possible. And right. and that's that's kind of the the state that, that I, I love to put myself in as much as possible, especially when there could be so much noise and, and negativity in the world as well, too. So, you know, doing what I can to uh, be a ripple effect, I guess, if you can, if that's what excites me for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I guess like when you first took on this position, is it what you expected? Like now when you look back on it, is it what you expected at all? Or did you foresee the collegiate chapters have been growing really fast too, right? There's over a hundred now. I'm, obviously when you started, it wasn't anything like that. Going into it, what did you expect? And what were like the differences that you see now? Yeah. I would say kind of, okay, so what I initially expect is like, okay, let's go into some rapid growth. Let's go into mm. some serious exponential growth. But before I came on board, one of the things that stuck with me is my interview process was actually the current regional managers of the time and con. So they asked some questions and kind of set up a mock video call, if you will, considering most of the calls that happen within SACE are all virtual and video calls. So they wanted to see how I could, how I would perform in such a call. And I just remember kind of bringing that topic up and one of the, uh, which I didn't know that, that there would be two people for an idea and two people against an idea or, you know, based on the, the case study. And so, man, they, they drilled me hard. I just remember one of them saying when I brought up the concept of rapid growth, they're like, okay, well, you know, I'm more focused on bandwidth and what we can control and uh, make sure that we can handle that growth. And that made a lot of sense to me. And when I came into SACE that time, I think SACE was only maybe, oh, I'm not quite even sure if I've been now, uh, you know, so what is 13 minus six, seven? That's one of those, those tricky <laughs> ones. Um, so SACE was about seven years old. And so even though there were a good amount of systems that were being developed, from my perspective, there was a lot of room for improvement and cleaning that up, especially for the volunteer perspective. So that way the volunteers could be more efficient with their time that they dedicate to SACE and less kind of like on the busy work, but more on the impactful work of, you know, having the one-on-one -on -one relationships with, with each other and the chapter leaders. So last handful of years has just really been fine-tuning the systems in place within Collegiate. And now where we're at today, I'm really excited because things are starting to align that it seems like that next phase of SACE, at least Collegiate, is going to be a significant amount of growth. And, and actually, that's probably going to be pretty evident of, of SACE as a whole as well. And so just keeping in mind that the that bandwidth concept and being able to be able to process and take in all these additional chapters that are out there waiting for us and not necessarily dropping the ball, especially when working with volunteers who, you know, have limited time that they dedicate to uh, having out with SACE. So to answer your question, it, it has, but it, it definitely hasn't played out like I thought it would. You know, and I think anytime you set a goal and you venture out on a journey, it's it's always going to look different than what you initially thought. And I think that's where a lot of the beauty is as well, too, being able to adapt and to to pivot and handle any obstacle or challenge that presents itself to, to mm -hmm. keep moving forward. Yeah, that's true. Even when I first joined SACE, I think the growth has definitely been exponential. And I guess I'm curious also with the times that we are now where 
everything is virtual also. What challenges, I guess, do you foresee between like Upper SACE, National SACE, I guess the SACE squad, interacting yeah. with the college students and um, being in charge of all these chapters? I feel like there always is some sort of disconnect, right, between like collegiate yeah. students and then National SACE in general. So can you touch upon like some of the challenges that you see there and I guess your perspective on what it's like? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had a mentor once who said that there's a there's a very fine line between strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, I know remember his example was, you know, I, I could be stubborn and bullheaded and that could be a weakness for me, but it could also be a strength in, in getting the job done, for example. And so when I look at, you know, kind of the environment of SACE, I see that analogy is very applicable to me because some of the strengths of being a virtual organization is that we don't have a physical headquarters in any city where we have to actually go in to an office, which allows us to have squad members across the U.S., even though most of them are on the same city in Denver. So that's a strength, you know, being able to collaborate with teams all virtually, you know, using the Google Drive backbone and have multiple people working on a single document or a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint. You know, these are all strengths when being able to collaborate with people in different regions, different time zones, et cetera. So there's a lot of strengths there. And so to answer your question, the the fine line is some of the weaknesses are, yeah, I'm miles away from my next SACE you know, squad member or my even right. SACE volunteer. So there, there's definitely that separation in space between you know squad members to volunteers, to the chapter leaders. But then even we've noticed it from like committee to committee to committee, you know, collegiate marketing. So we've been uh, continuously kind of looking at, you know, how can we create more opportunities for these interactions? Because if there was a SACE headquarters and all the squad and all the volunteers were all in one location, well, then you're going to have the opportunity for this, uh, what is it called? I think accidental interactions. We're just a casual conversation mm-hmm. can really just spark an idea or, you know, create this next kind of concept or thought that people may want to, to work in. So that's something we also lose. But I think that still happens on virtual calls, just not as frequently, mm-hmm. you know, just not as continuously. And so that's that's definitely one of uh, the struggles. The other thing is, you know, with the recent changes due to COVID over the past year, uh, one of the strengths of SACE is that because we are virtual, we did not have to have any type of pivot from a working structure. So my day-to-day working activity has not necessarily changed, you know, at least from the the surface level, the perception of it. But at the same time, you know, when you look at our, at the collegiate chapter levels, that was a huge shift, you know, for everybody involved on the campus level where there are these in-person general body meetings where that's where relationships are being developed. That's where you get free pizza. That's (laughs) where you are able to actually you know, have some real connections created against on these kind of side conversations with the person you're sitting next to or uh, what have you. And so with the transition with the chapters going online, it can turn into one more call, especially with uh, Zoom fatigue now becoming uh, a thing, a phrase. And so, you know, I know that each chapter has had their own challenges and each chapter has, you know, again, just like any goal setting process or leadership challenge, you know, with with any opportunity that presents itself, there are going to be challenges. And so when we as engineers, we as scientists, we as entrepreneurs, when we're faced with a, a challenge, we're trained essentially to be that problem solver and figure it out. And so one of the things I've definitely seen the chapters do is uh, definitely come together on Twitch and Discord and yeah. kind of pivot into having a more social aspect. So that way, as the as everybody's coming together, it's almost kind of a break from the more structured work type of zoom calls, you know, 
that many are facing for school. And so that's that's definitely one of the strengths that our chapters have have discovered. But I'm I'm pretty sure that everybody's kind of itching to to get back into be able to touch people in, in real life again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. With all the, you know, the free pizza meetings and stuff like that. I think with virtual things, like I've definitely seen a lot of creative events that all the SACE chapters have been holding with like game nights that you mentioned and Discord being like such a great place to have just the casual drop-ins where you have like meeting rooms that anyone could just drop in at any time. Yeah, I think the chapters are doing well from what I've seen on the outside of it, even with like the conference itself, that one main event. I think that this year, the virtual conference was a pretty good, um, successful show that, you know, that SACE can pivot easily to accommodate that the same people will show up because they still want to have those growth discussions and panels to learn from that not much can stop that community. So yeah, I think that that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things of being able to to find the solution in the midst of a challenge is now you've learned the lesson, right? So as the world starts to, you know, kind of begin to interact again, we start to have in-person events. Well, the, this virtual landscape is definitely going to be here for a long time, especially when countless companies and organizations are realizing that their staff, their employees can be just as productive, if not more productive, working remotely. You know, so I definitely see some aspect of this virtual platform being around for a long time and just the the comfort of it for so many people in so many industries. So, and yeah, to your point, I, I agree that despite all the stress and uncertainty leading up to national conference, I was blown away at the the quality of how it was executed and, and how it all turned out. And I think, again, largely a lot of that has to do with our familiarity with, with working virtually already. But uh, moving forward, there'll definitely be some sort of virtual aspect part of national conference moving forward. So that way, those who can't physically travel wherever the city is can still join online yeah i definitely agree i think having this whole year of being online has taught a lot and can do a lot for future chapters and stuff and whether they're still going on campus to meet i think we've opened up kind of like the gates to continue those interactions outside of meetings like i feel like the discords and stuff that i'll see they're active like all the time and i know a lot of people are missing those personal connections but i feel like they have grown a lot closer to sharing that same struggle but also opening different ways to connect whether yeah they're stuck at home or like don't really want to go out but they could still have that community there yeah so i think like with work too i think it'll be interesting to see how it kind of transitions into kind of some sort of mesh of like in person and work from home and seeing how that can grow from learning this whole stuff but i know we talked a lot about like how virtual settings and covid has changed days and like work and all these chapters so i guess the question for you matt is like what have you learned about yourself during this quarantine I have learned I am human and my emotions have been swinging back and forth. When this first started, like many people on this planet, I'm sure, you know, I was filled with emotions of fear, doubt, anxiety, panic, scarcity, you know, and just, oh, great. The whole world's out of toilet paper. (laughs) How is that a good thing? Right. And so, you know, fortunately, one of the things I learned is that, you know, a lot of the concepts that I picked up along the, the, the way really resonated me and just kind of sit in the back of my mind. Like, you know, I think Les Brown says, you know, it's easy to be positive when things are going good in good times. It's easy to be cheerful and have a good attitude then, but it's when life knocks you down and things are really tough. You know, can you still have that optimistic, positive attitude to not only get through a situation, but to thrive in that situation? You know, you get knocked down seven times, stand up eight times, 
right? And mm-hmm. so what I learned is that I have resources available to me in the form of books, online videos, mentors. And I remember having a specific conversation with a mentor and he helped me realize that what the specifics of what I was actually fearing was not what was actually happening. And just in that conversation, it was a pivot and everything. I was like, oh, and boom, as a result, those emotions subsided. And then another thing I learned is that, you know, as the world's continued to change, instead of digging my heels into the ground and, and saying, no, it should stay the same. We should go back to where we came from, you know, learning to adapt and change myself, whatever that looks like. And so as we were talking before we hit record, you know, I'm, I'm starting to grow my hair out. So that's just one, <laughs> one way I'm, I'm embracing change for myself. Another more extreme one was, is that over the summer I signed up for a virtual ultra marathon, which mm. the challenge was from May 1st to August 31st, you had to run the equivalent of, of crossing the state of Tennessee. So that's that's where the race was organized. And that that was the equivalent of a thousand kilometers, which came out to about six hundred and thirty-five miles in total. And somewhere along the line, you know, about four weeks in, you know, I did the math. I was like, okay, that's five miles a day over that time span. I can do that. And so somewhere along the line, about four weeks in, I was like, you know what? Six hundred and thirty miles sounds cool, but you know what sounds really cool? Thousand miles. <laughs> yeah, because I mean it's kind of right there, right? Because there was like some studs in this group. So they were already going back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, okay, I can reach a thousand miles. And then kind of when I made that decision, I was like, well, you know, it sounds even cooler. Out and back is 1200 miles. And if I'm going to do a thousand miles, 1200s right there. <laughs> and uh, so I don't even necessarily know what happened. So my, my commitment of running five miles a day, somewhere in the middle of June turned into having to run an average of 15 miles a day. 100 miles a week just to be able to catch up for for the lost time to be able to go out and back and talk about the challenges and the adversity that I experienced through that from physical pain, the mental exhaustion and fatigue. And I ended up finishing that out and back route 1200 miles with, I think, like three days to spare. And so, yeah, it it was it was (laughs) definitely a stretch goal that was unbelievable. And, you know, with all my marathon running that I'd done in the past, the most I'd ever run in a single week was 50 miles. And that would be maybe like one or two weeks total in a training phase. So to go from that to basically from zero to 100 miles a week Mm -hmm. was was a complete shift. So, yeah. So I've I've learned that, you know, there's two things I can control, my attitude and my actions, regardless of what's going on. And again, that was a concept I'd heard in the past. And and this was an opportunity that I can really apply that. And sporadically, you know, there's there's these emotions of fear and panic and frustration that still pop up from time to time. And that's uh, a sign to me to say, okay, just pause and ask yourself, what is your body really communicating to you? You know, what are these underlying beliefs that you're feeling threatened? Because the brain's primary function is to keep us safe. Right. And so with a with a global pandemic, that is a genuine danger that is kind of looming around the corner. And so just continuously being aware of what I'm focused on has made a big difference. And asking myself, are these genuine dangers or am I allowing my my brain to create some fear just Mm -hmm. to avoid doing something that's uncomfortable? Right. We spend a lot of time with ourselves. I find it's just Mm -hmm. you have to have, you know, that sort of discussion with yourself and reflect on how you normally carry yourself or interact. Because I think a lot of people try to keep busy usually so they don't have to think about that sort of thing. And I'm definitely one of them, but definitely forcing ourselves to take take some time and be like, you know what? I don't know. There's some things that I just need to understand more about myself. So having those, you know, discussions, whether or not like by journaling or 
going to therapy, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely a growing time for a lot of people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and running has been very therapeutic for me, very meditative, just to your point. I mean, it's, you know, if I'm going to be running for hours, mm-hmm. it's just me. Yeah, with, with running and stuff, I was curious because I think you're known in the States community to also like do all that running, do a lot of running. I think the 5K that was that happened two years ago in Pittsburgh. I don't yeah. know who, I don't know if you were behind that. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, that was something that I feel like for the longest time they've known you. I think you've been doing that so I was just curious like when did you start running um, and like training seriously for these marathons and like what got you into it because I know you come from like a sports background but yeah. running I feel like is a different thing because it's a lot more mental than than like the ultimate goal of winning a game in sports right so yeah, curious. absolutely. Now, and that's I think that's why running just aligns with me so much because if I want to have that competitive aspect of it it's not necessarily against somebody else but it's it's against my own self you know Mm -hmm. so okay last time i ran this distance in this time this time i want to improve it a little bit more you know so then there's the challenge to you know dig a little deeper and so that's one thing that i really enjoy about running and or i don't have to have any reason i can just go out and go for a jog and just slow no pace not even have to worry about a, a, a watch and again that's just a very meditative time for me to just be with my myself so and so to answer your question you know i started running when i was a kid my my father he actually runs marathons and jason you mentioned that first year in schaumburg that year the weekend before that event was the chicago marathon and i actually qualified the chicago marathon so my father my brother my father my stepmother we all ran the marathon the week before conference and that marathon was my father's 100th marathon. So wow. running's kind of always been there for me. And so I ran as a kid and I actually stopped running when I got into high school. And that's because cross country was the same time as football. And I, so I chose football over that. And baseball being my ultimate love was the same time as kind of track and field. So so football, baseball, and wrestling was what my uh, were the sports in, in high school. And then after high school, played college baseball. After college, I played sit on the couch and eat all you want <laughs> and gain some weight. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> where, where am I headed? And so uh, I think it was about 2010. I was like, you know what? You know, I'm already kind of, like I said, in this personal development journey. I'm really starting to amp up my, my goal setting process and starting to picture what my desired lifestyle is. And it's like, you know what? I want to run the Boston Marathon and not just run it, but I, I want to qualify or I, I, I think the way I phrase it is I want to run a marathon and my first marathon, I want to qualify for Boston. And the qualifying time for that age group was three hours and five minutes. And so if I'm already going to run that time, then my goal is to run that marathon in less than three hours, which hmm. to run a marathon 26.2 miles in less than three hours means I would have to run each mile at six minutes and 52 seconds or faster, 651 or faster. And for me, running a 10-minute mile for maybe a couple miles, that was definitely a stretch. And so for about five years, I did nothing with that goal. It just kept writing it down because it's going to be nice. And then finally, I said, all right, Matt, you've been saying this for year after year. It's either time to scratch this goal off the list or do what's finally necessary to do it. And that was in 2015, the same year I started working with SACE. So by the time I started with SACE, I literally hit the ground running. And a couple months later, I think it was my, by that time, my seventh marathon total where I actually qualified for Boston with a final time of three hours and three minutes. So I've qualified for Boston twice, ran it, or excuse me, I've qualified it for three times, ran it twice. Uh, fastest marathon to date is three hours and three seconds. <laughs> So, yeah, but uh, I think the, the ultimate reason of why is because, like I mentioned previously, is my father runs. 
And I saw this as an opportunity to spend more time with my father and see it as an opportunity to, to connect with my father even more so. So to be able to, to travel from city to city and run these different races has just been a great experience and kind of chuckle because my brother's like, can we just go on a family trip where we're not running a marathon for once? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I, I love that. I definitely relate. I had gotten into running actually from my dad as well. He started running. He would do legs of a triathlon with his friends and yeah. he would just wake me up and we'd run on the trail by our house and yeah. kind of grew that love of running and that kind of materialized into doing cross country in, in high school too. Yeah, I could definitely see the uh, after college wanting to just sit down and not exercise anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why it's important when going to conferences. And I think after hearing you talk about marathons and talk about running, it's kind of like another wake up call to be like, oh, okay, like I could take this step by step and just hit that one goal. And then hopefully that kind of pushes me to keep going. I know for the 5k, Jenny and I kind of pushed each other to do it. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Jenny, I think that was your first 5k, right? And then I had that a ran was, in yeah. a very long time too. So it's kind of just having that like point to look forward to. And then hopefully go on from there. But yeah, just overall, congratulations on all those accomplishments of running, hitting the 1200 miles. I think it's nice too, how you proudly display your Boston Marathon uh, flag behind you on all your calls. It definitely like stands out every time on a volunteer call or right now. So it's just a big congratulations from us. Yeah. So I guess thank you. we're a little closing in on the podcast, but we did have a couple of rapid fire questions that we had for Uh you. So Uh oh, all right, I'm ready. (laughs) Let's let's do it. You ready? All right, cool. I think we've been growing to love this this part of the podcast. But yeah, I guess one thing we were talking about running. So we were curious how many marathons have you ran so far and how many do you hope to hit? Yeah. So pre-COVID, I've ran 23 real marathons. And then interestingly enough, that uh, the marathon that I ran this summer across Tennessee and back, even though it's not a marathon because it's not all at once, but that's the equivalent of 50 marathons. So I don't know if I've run 23 or 73. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it 73 here. Yeah, let's so. do 73. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have a favorite sport? I know you mentioned a lot of different sports, but do you have a one all-time favorite, I guess, if you had to choose? Yeah, I guess growing up, my my goal, my dream was to play professional baseball. To watch, I could probably, I'd say baseball and football are my favorites to watch. And then obviously today, running is my favorite to do. Gotcha. Okay, next question. I know you mentioned reading too. So what are you reading currently? And do you have like an all-time favorite book that you have or something that you would always uh, suggest to other people? Yeah, so the the books I'm reading right here are sitting on my, on my desk. One's called The Big Leap, which talks about kind of the, the transition, the limiting beliefs that we, we find ourselves kind of self-sabotaging ourselves and how to recognize that and just kind of how to keep moving forward. The other one I'm reading is an elaboration on the kind of the Migs-Briars test, mm-hmm. uh, Myers-Briggs. I always say that. And, um, you know, just a deeper understanding of each of the, the different personality types. And if I had to pick a book as a go-to book, I'm going to say it's the book that had the biggest impact on me, and that's The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And that talks about how simple daily disciplines compounded over time can lead to massive success. And that philosophy, that mindset has definitely driven me, again, to, to, to tackle these, these big goals, especially even if I don't believe I'm worthy of them or capable of achieving them in the beginning, knowing that just these simple daily disciplines can make all the difference. 
do you have any hidden talents? I don't know. I, I see the um an instrument in the background. I don't know if you play an instrument that we don't know about or No, that's 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 more of uh that's the next goal, kind of okay. the goal in progress. <laughs> that's something that I also enjoy just kind of picking up and playing kind of in a meditative state, if you will. I can't say that my neighbors enjoy when I pick it up and start playing it. <laughs> but as far as the hidden talent goes, um <laughs> uh... I know the answer has to be yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see any hidden talent sitting around in my office, so that's all right. <laughs> uh, I, I've I've had an incredible ability to keep this uh, this spider plant alive. That's that's a good one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> They're easy um, to keep alive. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing better than me on taking care of plants. I had it for like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think we got one more, unless Jenny, you have another one after this, but would you rather be great or an expert at one thing or be good at a lot of things? Great question. Um, both. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, it's like what I've, you know, kind of what I've come to realize is that the more I know, the more I realize that I don't know. And I guess if I were to consider myself an expert in anything, I would probably want to be an expert in, I guess, just my own self-awareness in, in how I, in my own self, in my own life, in my own journey, my own story, how I operate and just really understanding myself the best I can to be able to, again, honor the emotions that I have versus labeling them good or bad, um, being able to respond to unpredictable situations in a, in a constructive manner, in a resourceful manner. And all I see all of this allowing me to be a support to somebody else when they need it, uh, to be able to be an example of what's possible despite what the circumstances may be. So uh, that would be if, if I could be an expert in anything, it's living an intentional, purposeful, happy life by my terms. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Those are all the rapid fire questions that we have as um, we're wrapping up the episode. So one last thing that we would like to ask you before we wrap it up is in what part of your life or major event do you think made you graduate to the adult table as the name of the podcast? Um, yeah. Is the adult table. No, that's a, that's a great question. I even wore my adult shirt because uh, <laughs> I thought it was fitting. You know, looking back, I, I'm not sure if there was any single event and I'll even say, uh, that I'm not even sure that I sit at the adult table sometimes. You know, I, I definitely see myself <laughs> sitting at the kitty table, you know, for today and moving forward. But I guess I would allude to a series of events. You know, prior to working with SACE, because I had built a business, I had this time flexibility to where I could take care of my grandmother. So growing up, my grandmother uh, definitely helped raise me while my mom went to, to school and work to, to raise us. And, you know, to be able to take care of my grandmother and be her primary care final year of my life, um, you know, was definitely a significant transition from an example like that to walking away from the path I was on from a traditional career into uncharted territory into becoming a more uh, entrepreneurial space and becoming self-sufficient, I would say that was definitely a pivotal moment and countless other examples where it's just the opportunity to, to say, okay, Matt, in this situation, do you want to be an adult about it or do you want to be a child about it? <laughs> you know, I think the definition of maturity is the, the ability and willingness to take on more responsibilities. And I think at some point in time when I kind of made the decision that I'm going to take 100% responsibility for my life, good or bad, 
that has also allowed me to have confidence in the lifestyle that I've chosen and created. And I think that is probably what has been the, the, the continuous factor to, to allowing me to, to see myself at that adult table. Yeah, that's, that's great. I really appreciate just your openness, to everything on the whole interview and just how introspective you've been throughout this whole conversation. I think I've learned a lot just from this conversation itself on mm-hmm. where your mindset is. And it's kind of an inspiration to start thinking more about that stuff. I think growing into that adult table, growing into what you want ultimately out of your life and how to think more of like, just like the outcomes and think more about, yeah, just thinking about your mindset on a lot of things. Yeah. Just want to thank you for coming onto the adult table. And now that the listeners, you know him a little more, feel free to reach out or talk to him at conferences or other volunteer events. seems like Matt's always there. Happy face, big smile. So Matt, do you have any socials or anything that you want to plug to the listeners on how they could find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on just about every platform, but I, I will uh, preface at this point in time, I'm not very active. So if you send a, <laughs> send a request and I, you don't get a response, it's nothing personal. It's just, I'm, I'm rarely on anymore. So, but uh, I don't, I can't say that that's going to be the future either. So, but uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, I got some, some really, I was very active on Instagram. I got a bunch of running photos um, in that transition when I first qualified for Boston, because I kind of wanted to document Mm-hmm. This transformation and that handles uh, ideas can change the world is my name underscore awesome in between handle. each word and yeah. ideas is I D I A Z. So there's some some cool running photos there. Nice, yeah. Nice. All right, and um, don't forget to subscribe to us so we you know when episodes come out and follow us on Instagram as well at the Adult Table Podcast for updates. So I'm Jason Chin. And I'm Jenny Chung, and we'll see you next time at the adult table. Thanks for listening. Bye.